Welcome back to Show Me Your Artist License, the podcast that highlights and celebrates Black art and Black artists around the world. I'm your host, Rinsha, part-time artist and full-time lover of the arts. So this week, we are back with our In O2 series, where we discuss and give flowers to prominent Black artists in art history. So what better way to end Black History Month with an ode to painter, designer, and educator, Lois Malu Jones. Lois was born on November 3rd, 1905 in Boston, Massachusetts. Her parents were Carolyn Jones and Thomas Freeland. Her father was a lawyer and is the first African-American to earn a law degree from Suffolk Law School. Her mother worked as a cosmetologist. Her parents always emphasize like the importance of education and just working hard. They also encouraged her to create art. So growing up, she drew a lot. She did some, you know, she did a lot when it came to watercolor paintings. And yeah, I liked how they encouraged her to create art. That's very important. Her parents owned a house on Martha's Vineyard where she met a lot of influential people such as sculptor Mita Vaux Warwick Fuller. And I actually talk about Mita in my Harlem Renaissance episode. So if you haven't listened to that one, check it out. And so Lois attended the High School of Practical Arts in Boston and throughout her, her time in school, which was a lot of time in school, she received several scholarships. She also attended Boston School of the Museum of Fine Arts, where she studied design and graduated in, graduated in 1927. She received a graduate degree in design from the from the Design Art School of Boston. She also took classes at Columbia University and received a Bachelor of Arts in Art Education from Howard University. So she is no stranger to education. So moving on to her career. So she began designing textiles for several New York firms after graduating. And in 1928, she took a teaching position at Palmer Memorial Institute in North Carolina. So she took this position after the Boston Museum School refused to hire her. They basically were like, we don't want, we think you'll be a better teacher down south with, you know, around your people. Remember, this is the 1920s, so still segregation, all that jazz. Um, Yeah, so she went on down to North Carolina and founded the art department at the Palmer, Palmer, I cannot say this word, Palmer Memorial Institute. And then in 1930, she was recruited by Howard University in Washington, D.C. to join its art department. As a professor, she prepared her students to be very competitive artists. She brought in a lot of guest speakers, did a lot of workshops for her students. She was a great mentor to her students and a strong advocate for African-American art and artists. She took a sabbatical year in Paris in 1937, and she studied at the Académie Julian. My French, (laughs) I'm working on it. (laughs) Definitely working on it. Anyways, so in an interview with the Women's Art Journal, she stated that she was far freer as an African-American woman in Paris than she was in the art world in the United States. And 
around this time, a lot of black artists, black entertainers felt that being in Europe was way better than being in America. They had more freedom. They had more, they were more comfortable creating and just being themselves. So while in Paris, she painted 40 pieces. And in the first four months that she was there, Lois produced one of her widely exhibited paintings, Le Fetiche, in 1937. I'm working on my French again. (laughs) So Le Fetiche is a small scale painting of five overlapping African masks. And the style of this painting is very like cubist. And if you don't know what cubist or cubism is, it's basically just a form of art, a style of art where um, it's very abstract. A lot of the subjects in the paintings are fragmented. And for example, uh, works by Pablo Picasso and Paul Cezanne are cubist. And so first of all, if you know those two artists, then, you know, you know, but if you don't know those two artists, definitely check out their work too. Cubism in general, it's very interesting, but very abstract. And so Le Fetiche was a piece that was, uh, had a cubist style. And most of her pieces in Paris, she painted outdoors and they would call it the uh, Ein Plain Air. In, in plain air, in plain air method of painting. Oh my gosh. I'm mixing two different <laughs> languages. I was going to start speaking German with the Ein. Anyways, yes. So a lot of her paintings were outdoors because that's what they did in Paris. So while she was in Paris, she exhibited at the Société des Artistes Français. After this exhibit, she had a lot of concern that she wouldn't be able to exhibit in any of the leading galleries in the U.S. because she was a black artist and black artists were excluded from leading art institutions and institutions in the U.S. because segregation, racism, etc. And so that was something she was thinking about. And so when she returned to D.C., she continued teaching at Howard And she also started to send her pieces to galleries and exhibits in Philadelphia and New York where she could ship her entries and communicate by mail so that she could hide the fact that she was black. Because again, a lot of these galleries and museums did not want black artists to submit their work. They would not take them. And so in order for her to get around that, she mailed it in, which very, very, very smart. And also, um, in 1941, her friend who is a white French artist named Celine Tayberry, Tayberry, um, who also taught at Howard submitted one of Lois's paintings called Indian shops, gay head, Massachusetts to the prestigious Corcoran, these words, Corcoran gallery of art. And, Lois's painting actually like she won an award. She won first prize for landscape art. She had a fear that if she went to accept her award in person, they're just going to take it back because she's black. So she had them mail her the award later on. 
So fast forward in 1994, the Corican Gallery of Art gave a public apology to Jones at the opening of the exhibition about her called The World of Lois Malu Jones. And they apologized for being discriminatory against her and her work and not giving her the opportunity to reveal who she truly was. And yeah, so they eventually apologized, but that was like 50 years after she (laughs) entered um, that exhibition. So that is very interesting. After that, she exhibited at several museums and galleries and most likely used the same method of like mailing in her pieces and just communicating via mail so people wouldn't know her identity. She would go back and forth to Paris and Europe and create more pieces and eventually in 1952 had a book where she reproduced that reproduced more than 100 of her art pieces that she created in Paris. Well, that she created in France. In 1953, she married Haitian graphic designer Louis Vergniaud Pierre Noël and was influenced by the bright colors and bold patterns of Haitian art that she saw on annual trips to Haiti with him. The next year, Lois traveled to Haiti at the invitation of President Paul E. Magloire to create a series of paintings. In 1955, President Dwight Eisenhower commissioned Lois to paint the portraits of the Haitian president and the first lady in the honor of their state visit. So while in Haiti, she immersed herself in the culture and increased her desire to export art in Africa. And she was also a professor in Port-au-Prince. In 1968, Howard University sponsored Lois to conduct the Black Visual Arts, a three-part research project of interviews and photographs across Haiti, Africa, and U.S. documenting contemporary art of the African diaspora. In 1970, she gave lectures, interviewed local artists, and visited museums in 11 African countries. A lot of her travel during this project really influenced her work, and she came back with a report on contemporary African art, um, and it was published in 1970, and in 1971, she delivered 1,000 slides and other materials to Howard as fulfillment of the project. So she retired from Howard University's art department in 1977 after being on the faculty for 47 years. That is a long time, but that is like very amazing. And so she continued to create art, was very, very active, uh, had a lot of art exhibitions after her retirement. Um, Even though she got sick, um, she had a heart attack and had to have um, bypass surgery, but she was still showing work in exhibits around the country. And um, in 1998, she passed away in Washington, D.C. at the age of 92. So she was literally working up until the time of her passing. And that's that's how much she really loved her work and being an art educator, and being an artist. So let's move on and talk about her work and like her signature style. So she produced art for over 60 years. Um, Her travels to Europe and Africa and the Caribbean definitely influenced her work. And also she had a lot of 
friends and um, mentors within the Harlem Renaissance. And so they also influenced her work. For example, um, artist Aaron Douglas always told her like, hey, put in create pieces to talk about, you know, the black experience. And so she created this piece called The Ascent of Ethiopia. She started off originally with design. So she did a lot of like design, textile design, and then went to painting. And while she was in painting, there was just a lot of like expressionism, cubism. And she started to experiment with portraiture. So she was one of very few black women artists that took that created self-portraits of themselves Um, and she also did portraits of other people an example of like her I guess portraiture would be her piece called Negro Youth that she created in 1929 (sighs) so her work also had a lot of African influence and she would incorporate masks patterns, different subjects. Of course, that was from her time being in Africa and even before then. And then with her time being in Haiti, her work started to use more bold colors and more geometrical patterns and just bright, bright, bright. She used a lot of mediums, mainly oil paint and watercolors. And her pieces inspired by her time in Haiti are one of her most like wild, widely known works. So I'm going to go into my favorite pieces of hers. And the first one is Au Hoot Pelanese. Yes, I practice. Hopefully my uh, pronunciation is up to par. But this piece is a portrayal of the picturesque village in France. And Um, This village is nestled in a valley and it looks, it's very similar, well, people find it very similar to pieces by artist Paul Cezanne, who is also like very, uh, who also does landscaping and is very, is a cubist artist in a way. And this piece received an award from the Corcoran gallery of art in 1949 it's an oil painting and you could find it at the national museum of women in arts in washington dc so that's one of my favorites it's really pretty and the next one of my favorites is called eglise saint joseph and it is a piece that she created when she was in haiti and so in this piece you see people the Haitian people walking around, you see the church in the back, which is what the title is named after, um, Church of St. Joseph. And there's some palm trees. I love the color. It just reminds me of a lot of the Haitian paintings I've seen. And again, she was influenced by the bold colors of Haitian art. And yeah, this piece can be found, I think, in the Smithsonian in D.C., So check it out or just Google it. And then a third piece that I really like of hers is actually called the Ubi Girl from Thai region. And this piece has a lot of African influence. 
It's very colorful. Like there's a lot of bold color masks and yeah, I really like it. So she has left a lot of, she's won a lot of awards and has a huge legacy. One of the biggest legacies that she has is the fact that from 1930 to 1977, she trained several African-American artists, like several of the greats, um, including Elizabeth Catlett, David Driscoll, and Sylvia Snowden. And I found that very, very, very cool because like, I love how as I'm going through these O2 episodes and doing research, I find it so interesting how all of the black artists in America are connected in some way, whether it's one artist taught the other, was a mentor for the other, was in the same circle, and they were just a big family. And I love that. I love how connected they were all, they were together. Because every time I look and I'm reading, I'm like, oh, so this artist was the teacher of this artist, or this artist was part of a program um, headed by another artist. And I just love how it's connected. So yes, one of her to me, one of her biggest legacies is being able to teach other African-American artists in America while she was a professor at Howard. And let's go into her awards. So she has won a lot of awards, has a lot of honors. I am not like what I'm going to say is not even half of what she's won because her career was so long and she lived a really long life so that's pretty like that's amazing and so whenever you have the time definitely check out what she has done what she the awards that she received and how people are still honoring her to this day and so on July 29th 1984 Lois Jones Day was declared in Washington D.C. the Lois Malou Jones Pierre Noel Trust which is her family trust, founded a scholarship in her name at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston and a scholarship fund for the Department of Fine Arts at Howard University. Awarded the Woman of 1946 Award from the National Council of Negro Women. And Haiti gave her award and it was called Chevalier of the National Order of Honor and Merit. She has a honorary doctor of philosophy from Colorado State Christian College. Uh, In 1973, they gave that to her. Howard University Fine Arts Faculty Award for Excellence in Teaching. She received that in 1975. She also has another honorary doctorate. She has like five, but she has an honorary doctorate in fine arts from Massachusetts College of Art in Boston. which was awarded in 1986. She has an honorary doctorate of humane letters from Howard University, of course. And and she received that in 1987. And there are, she had several exhibits of her work before and after um, she passed. And I think the most recent one was in 2015. So that that is amazing she has and what I love about her career and just about her in general is that even though she was in a time where a lot of black artists were getting discriminated against and just black people in general she found a way she made a way to go around it 
and create solutions so that her art was shared and so that her students' art was um, shared. She, al- she also created a tour to France for her students at Howard so that they were able to go to Europe, which talk about an educator. That is an educator giving your students the opportunity to you know, go to Europe and see how life is over there. And she had a lot of influence in the Harlem Renaissance um, time because that's when she started her her art journey. But she also did a lot as far as like contemporary art and leading into like experimenting and testing out new things. A lot of publications could not really categorize her work because she she changed it up every now and then and so very innovative very experimental so the majority of her work is at the Smithsonian American Art Museum in Washington DC so for example they have Le Fetiche there they have a self-portrait of hers which I really, really love. They have her piece called Negro Youth and Brother Brown, and the list goes on. The majority of her work is at the Smithsonian American Art Museum. Next, she has pieces at the Met, so Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. She has pieces in the Brooklyn Museum. The National Portrait Gallery in D.C. has her piece called The Green Door, The Museum of Fine Arts in Boston has some of her pieces. She has pieces in the National Palace in Haiti and pieces at the National Museum of Women in Arts. So if you're ever in any of those cities, make sure to check out her work. It's amazing. I'm going to go down to, hopefully can go down to Smithsonian American Art Museum in DC or just go to the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston to check out her work. And you should too let me know which pieces you like and if you've seen her work before. Well, I hope you enjoyed our episode in Ode to Lois Milou Jones. This is a very, very condensed version of her, her life and legacy. And I will be linking some websites and books to read if you're interested in learning more about her. I would definitely read up on her because she has made a huge impact in the art world and uh, her work is amazing. (laughs) But I hope you enjoyed this episode. Let me know if you've ever heard of her before. Let me know where you go if you go to see her work. Um, and let me know your favorite pieces of hers because I love, I I love all of them and let me know how I did with my French. It's not that great, but I'm, I am perfecting it. (laughs) I am perfecting it. Thank you. Anyways, thank you for listening to Show Me Artist License. For more content, make sure to follow the show on Instagram at The Artist License and visit showartistlicense.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and share this podcast with your fellow art lovers. Again, I'm your host, Rinsha. Thank you again for listening. Until next time, bye.